0: All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome wherever you are. Glad that you guys are with us. I was a little delayed, subdued. Good morning. Good morning, morning, everybody. I hope you guys are excited. I want to jump right into this message because I am so excited. There's so many great things that the Lord is speaking to me through this message. There is so much much that we can learn from, from the section that we're going to be talking about today. All of Job. So if you're with us for the first time or, you're, or you haven't been here in a while, we are in the book of Job. Our series is called Blameless, a study in the life of Job. And people think that it's just such a downer. It's all about patience and suffering. And yes, absolutely. It's about patience and suffering. But it's also about perseverance. It's about God using those things to elevate you. And I think it's such an exciting message. So I am so anxious to get back in. If you've missed any of the previous messages, go check them out on YouTube or Facebook. If you're online, whatever platform you're watching us on, you should be able to see our archives there. But I want to get into this because Job is one of those that just raises more questions than it answers. All along, no matter how far I dig into the scripture, no matter how much I study, every question leads to at least two more questions you ever done that? You get a question answered, but then that raises two more. And you answer those, and it raises four more. And exponentially, just however much you want to dig, it just keeps uncovering these gems, these nuggets from God that, that help me to understand his heart through all this. And so that's why I'm excited to share this with you. So I hope you kind of have that excitement, or at least you're not anti-listening to what Job's got for us. Um, Let's get into it. Let's get in without any more time here. We saw last week. So last week, the last two weeks, in fact, we've been watching Job as he goes through uh, just this anguish and just the the re, his response to everything that has happened to him. He finally, he's had enough, and he's just, bleh, He's just barfing out all this stuff, right? And we do that all the time. We can maintain, maintain, have patience. We can stick with it. And then at some point, we all hit that, like, I just can't take it anymore, and out it comes, right? This is what happened in the last couple messages. So what we see today is the response. Now, it switches. Job's friends have been sitting there. They've been with him. These were genuine good friends who came, and they're hanging out with him with the absolute best of intentions, just to support him, to encourage him. But when Job does this, his response gives them an opening His tone, when he finally does speak, it gives them an opening. Like any good friend, you're watching how your friends respond to any situation. And you try and take those cues. If they respond, hopefully, you try and encourage. If they respond in anger, typically, we will go down that road with them. And we see that here in Job. Job could have set the tone, really, for how the rest of this book went. But he doesn't. Well, I take that back. He does set the tone, but it's not where he wants it to be. His outburst in, in, in just pain. Now, remember, he doesn't blame God, but he wishes he wasn't born. He wishes if he was born, he'd have died at birth. And then ultimately, like, well, if I survived all that stuff, why don't I just die now? So he is in this place of despair. And when his friends see that outburst, they take that as their cue on how to then respond for the rest of this time. His frustration gives them both reason and license to question where his heart is. So that's where they go. Sometimes our response unintentionally invites that kind of strife. That goes to our, our Facebook posts. If you have encouraging, how many times you put in a really encouraging Facebook post and have somebody come back with just anger and venom? Not often. It happens It happens, but it's not often. More often than not, if you have a post of a puppy smelling a kitten and they're playing, it's going to elicit a good response. But if you post something political or something that you know in your mind is divisive, that's the kind of response you get. And so we see that here with Job. He's kind of open to that door. So this week, Job's good friend, Eliphaz, it's the first of his friends to actually speak. He's the most senior of Job's friends and so he gets the honor of speaking first. So his response out of all this is, I got to try and fix this situation. I have to try and, number one, fix Job, but even more importantly in some ways, I got to fix this whole situation for me. How does this apply to me? If Job is truly blameless, Job is an upstanding, righteous guy. I, I know that that's who he is. But if I can't find some hidden cause for all this, where am I? They want to make sense of it. We all, have this, we all have this innate need to look at those things that happen around us and make sense of them. We have to. We look for patterns in things, and it's just the human condition. We do that. We look at a random, say, a random break-in in our neighborhoods. Somebody got their car broken into, or somebody's house was, um, was, was uh, broken into. Somebody got hurt. Even a car accident that you drive by. We all look at those things, and knowing no facts whatsoever, other than it happened, we want to put some kind of sense to it. We want to put some kind of pattern to it. Even if we have to invent scenarios to help us sleep at night, we'll do that. Well, those guys, those guys usually leave their garage door unlocked anyway, so it's no wonder that happened. Or we'll drive by the car and we'll say, uh, young driver or old driver or he's got his phone, whatever it is. And we want to put some kind of sense to why that happened because if we can do that, then we can have this sense of security like, I would never do that. That wouldn't happen to me. It's no different in this situation. Job's friends see what has befallen Job, and they're like, man, if we can't make sense of this, then where do we stand? So they're trying to make sense of it, and Job gives them the perfect opening that they need with his outburst. So that's how they come at him here. All three of his friends have completely forgotten why they came there. Okay, they came. Scripture says, Job 2.11 When Job's three friends heard of the adversity that had come upon him, they came from his own place. Um, They made an appointment together to come and sympathize with him and comfort him. Scripture says that. We take it at its word. That's why they came. Good intentions, good friends came to do that. But their inability to stick with that godly plan really sets the tone for the entire rest of what we're going to read here in Job. So, chapter 4. Get right into chapter 4. That's where we are today. Begins with the first, call it lecture. could be a sermon. It's certainly not really advice from his friend Eliphaz. Eliphaz the Temanite is what it calls. Now remember going back when I kind of introduced these things, his name, his name, his very name means God is fine gold. He knows the Lord. He knows biblical wisdom. In fact, he considers himself kind of the, the expert in biblical wisdom and philosophy. And, and he's about ready to dispense some of that expertise that he has here to Job. He very much agrees, um, or, or his, his theodicy. Remember, theodicy is that term that means how you explain, specifically, the idea of how bad things happen to good people. That's essentially the idea of theodicy, and his theodicy is it's got to be because of your bad choices. 100%, no doubt about it. That's where he approaches this from. So like a good friend, like any good friend, he kind of starts out, even though Job is giving giving him an opening, it's kind of more like ammunition that he's going to use later. He starts out in this good kind of respectful tone. At least he starts that way. So Job chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, read like this. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered, if one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? Now you can tell he's kind of timid in approaching him like, is it okay? Is it okay to talk? Sometimes we give this opening. We think we want the truth. We think we're entitled to the truth and we ask for the truth. But oftentimes our response is more like this. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to You them. want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! <laughs> I just love that clip. I'm going to save that in so many different situations. We want the truth, but so many times we can't handle the truth. Even more so than handling the truth, it's the proper handling of the truth when we dispense it. The truth and facts are tools. Those tools can be used for good, and those tools can be used for evil. All of the truth contained in the Word of God, in Scripture, in the Bible, it's absolute truth, without question. But it can be used for good and the purposes of God, or it can be used as a bludgeon. Anybody else ever seen that in their lives? Where the very truth of God, spoken accurately, But without context and without the right heart can be so much more hurtful than just about anything else. So, Job chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. Eliphaz is saying, look, you're a good guy. You have helped so many, so many who needed help, who needed strengthened, who needed encouragement, You've been able to do that. So he's kind of pumping him up, saying, hey, you're, you're good. You're a good guy. You've done so many good things. But thereby ends the comfort and sympathy portion of the message that Eliphaz is delivering. It was nice while it lasted, but he very quickly switches from that, I'm going to pump you up, and now I'm going in for the kill. Job chapter 4, verse 5. But now it has come to you, and you're impatient. It touches you, and you're dismayed. So all this trouble that you're always helping everyone through, once it comes to you, you lose it. Job has saved so many others, but he can't seem to help himself. Where have we seen that idea? We see that all the time. Jesus, exactly, I heard it. Mark chapter 15, verse 31. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him mocking Jesus. He saved others. He can't save himself. We see that all the time. Over, over. You ever heard the phrase, physician heal thyself? You know what it means. It means typically a physician can't heal themselves. Do you know that scripture? That's right out of the Bible. It seems like really good wisdom, right? But it's out of of scripture. Luke 4.23, and he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician heal yourself. That's Jesus being taunted in Nazareth. That's when he goes into his own, his own hometown, and he's dispensing wisdom, and they go, hey, wait a minute, aren't you? Job chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now, whoever, whoever perished being innocent, or where, is the upright, where are the upright destroyed? So he's saying, look, remember, you yourself have taught that the innocent don't perish, the upright don't get destroyed. You've always had this hope in your integrity, that integrity that you thought would save you. That's where you have always put your hope. But maybe it's time for you to start looking a little closer at yourself. Maybe it's time that you start questioning your own because you've taught this. So even Eliphaz is acknowledging that's truth. But where he places it and how he delivers it is way off base. We're going to get into that more a little bit later, and that's key to what we're talking about here. So Eliphaz starts pulling from his own personal experience. Here's what I've seen. And he starts dispensing all the ways that he's seen it work. So Job chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 say, according to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it you get what you reap what you sow right by the breath of god they perish and by the blast of his anger they come to an end meaning blast of his anger quick and suddenly the the wicked will perish they reap what they sow now he's searching for an example you can kind of hear uh, as it goes along see what's going on in his head and he's like how how do i come up with another example i want to i want to dispense this wisdom so if that one didn't find a good root in you and, and help you just turn that light bulb on. I'm going to go another route. And so he starts shifting around looking for these other roots and he points out very cool little section of scripture. I'm going to talk through it a little bit here. He points out that even the mighty lion, even how strong and how mighty and how regal a lion is, its strength and cunning and everything it has won't alone save it. Job chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says this. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey and the whelps of the lioness are scattered. Leave that scripture up there for just a minute. Whenever you see things that kind of don't seem to make sense. Now remember this is written in kind of a poetry form. So it's very common to have repetitions and comparison and contrasts. But here it sure mentions lion a lot. Remember the scripture where Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? When he repeats that over and over again, each one of those words, love, it's actually a different word. And it translates with a different meaning. It's no different here. Let's look at that. In the first part here where it says, the roaring of the lion. The lion translates in Hebrew as the word Ari. And Ari means violent. It's the violent, fierce, forceful aspects of a lion, okay? So your, your, your fierceness, your violence won't save you. The fierce lion, where it says towards the end of that sentence is the Hebrew word shakal, which means fierce sounding, okay? So we have really fierce and violent. Then we have fierce sounding. Then the next one down, young lions. Young lions is kefir, which means inexperienced which means they're young they're full of energy they're full of enthusiasm but they're inexperienced and then verse 11 the lion again but it's a different word it's laish in Hebrew which means strong vigorous in your prime You've got everything going for you you are you are strong and then the last part the lioness is labi which really, obviously, it's the feminine, but it means fierce protector. So we have five different words used for lion, and each one of them illustrates different aspects of the character he's talking about. And what he's really saying, he's going back to pride. Your pride in your physical strength won't save you. Your cunning won't save you. Your words, even though they sound... Even though they sound very good and they're forceful and they're, and they're true, they won't save you. Your enthusiasm won't save you. Your protective nature over your family and your children, we see he's very much got that, won't save you. So in a very subtle way, he's saying all these prideful things. He's accusing Job of being prideful. All these things that you count on to save you, they're nothing if there's sin in your life. And that's firmly where he's pointing his finger there. Our confidence in the form of bluster, no matter how confident you are, no matter how forcefully you speak the truth or how big your platform is, that's not gonna save you. And essentially he's saying passion does not equal truth. That's a message that we can take away for today. Passion does not equal truth. Remember that. I'm gonna go into that more just a little bit later. Now, Eliphaz sees all this this fantastic wisdom that he's dispensing here, right? It's well thought out. He's got this plan. He probably put this plan together during the seven days of silence where he sat there. (coughs) Excuse me. But he sees it's not really having the effect that he wanted it to have. Just like us with friends. How many more ways can I tell you, but the light bulb is just not going on? Who else gets frustrated in that? I want to just lock the door and say, nobody leaves this room until I restate it enough times to where I hit on the thing that's going to make the light bulb go off. We all want to do that. So what he does is he pulls out the trump card that a lot of us Christians do, the I heard it from God. God told me. He pulls out that card. And here we are, Job chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it, amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men. He's dreaming. He's asleep, and a vision comes to him in a dream. This is what he's saying. He's claiming, I heard this from God. If you don't believe me in my own wisdom, God told me. This is where he is. Side note on that, if you're going to claim, God told you. Or I heard from God. You better be right. Because there are other voices that speak to us. And we need to be able to know where it's coming from. Just because it's truth doesn't always mean it's from God. That's something that's very hard for us to discern. We're going to see how Job handles that and how it unfolds here. Chapter 4, verse 14, 16. Again, this is Eliphaz speaking. He's describing this, this dream it looks more like a nightmare that he's having. Dread came upon me and trembling and made my bones shake. Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. Any of us who have ever had an experience with the Holy Spirit or sometimes a demon, you know that very much describes that experience when you feel that physical manifestation there with you. Verse 16, it stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. Then there was silence. Then I heard a voice. Okay? He says, I could not discern its appearance. So he's not claiming it was an angel. It was God. He's not really claiming any of that, but he's making that assumption. He just says it was dark. I kind of felt it, heard it. But he's thinking in his mind, he's connecting the dots, going, this came came from God. Verse 17, can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? This is the question that this apparition asks him. Now, what would be your answer to that question? Let me repeat the question. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? How would you answer that question? Very good. Before Christ, you would would have to say no. No. Christ with our intercessor, it at 100% points towards our need for an intercessor in Christ because we will never have sufficient righteousness in our own. And before Jesus, Job had to rely on all of his works, the things that he did, doing them in the correct order at the correct time to try and be righteous before God, be pure before his maker. And now he's just questioning, I thought I did it all right. I thought I did everything I was supposed to do. I thought I had a good heart, but that's truth. Eliphaz now finishes this vision with this, air quotes, for those of you who aren't watching, air quotes, encouraging word. Verses 18 to 21, he puts no trust even in his servants, and against his angels he charges error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed, before the moth between morning and evening they are broken in pieces unobserved they perish forever is not their tent cord plucked up within them they die yet without wisdom that's a that's a picture the tent cord of a storm hitting your tent and just pulling all the cords out of the ground tumbling away and killing everybody inside a common occurrence in the middle of the desert that would happen that is not an encouraging picture but what it means really is even, even angels are held, held accountable, what chance do you have? Now, side note here, bless you, this is not an indictment of Satan. Eliphaz knows nothing of Satan in these spiritual battles that's going on. He doesn't know any of that. It's just poetic language for hopelessness. Poetic language for this hopelessness of those who sin. You can have all the hope in the world, but the minute you sin is what Eliphaz is is proposing here. The minute you sin, that hope is out the door and it means nothing. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to live on that razor's edge today. But that's exactly what Eliphaz is pointing to right here. Now, let's talk about how we can know if Eliphaz heard from the Lord or not. Was that an angel of the Lord? Was that the Lord's voice himself? Was that a demon? Was that Satan himself? Where where did Eliphaz hear this? Where did that wisdom again, where did that come from? We don't really know. What we do know is that Job and his friends are in this situation of desperation. They are desperate to make sense of this. They're desperate to hear from the Lord. And when you're in that situation of desperation, not only... Will the Lord speak to you? But Satan knows that you are ready to hear some words, and he will do that. Now, they're in this situation of desperation, but for completely different reasons between Job and his friends. Different reasons. Job knows that he's innocent. In his heart, he knows that he's innocent, and he's trying desperately to cling on to that, but he needs an answer. He needs to be able to make sense of this. Otherwise, he's going to struggle to think that God is unjust, or God is just capricious and just does things out of whim for no reason. He's got in his mind, he's got to make sense of this coming from a standpoint of, I know I haven't done anything wrong. At least I'm pretty sure I haven't done anything wrong. Job's friends, though, they come at it from a different way. They have to prove that he's guilty. They have to find some hidden nugget of sin so that they can say, there it is that makes sense now. Now we know why you're struggling. That could never happen to us. So they're trying desperately. Both of these are equally dangerous roads to follow when you're trying to discern the will of God. It's so easy to be misled. It's so easy for even truth, that truth that should be a tool for good, a a tool to help us hang on can be used as a weapon against us. We have to be wary of that. So how do you do it? Teach an entire series on how to discern truth from lies, but in this situation, it's pretty simple. Compare what you hear to what you know, okay? In our benefit of hindsight, we can look back at Job 1.8. Remember Job 1.8? Here's how Job is described By the Lord Himself. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. This is the best recommendation you can possibly get. If you ever get that on your resume, stop there. There's nothing else you could say that is better than the Lord Himself saying that you're upright, blameless, fearing God, turning from evil. That's the best description. But in this voice that Eliphaz hears, it's contradicting that. It's contradicting that. So that's how we know. What we hear cannot contradict what we know to be true and still be from God. Second point, just a simple one. The truth will feed your spirit, lighten your spirit. It will create resolve. Even if it's, there's a mountain, you need to climb it. It's not going to be fun but you know what your plan is and you'll feel a resolve to do it, okay? doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but deception is discouraging and heavy. Just in general, you'll feel that. If somebody's dispensing truth to you and you're discouraged by it and it feels heavy, they're either dispensing it clumsily or with the wrong heart, or maybe it's not truth. Take a look at those things and the response of your spirit to what you hear labeled as truth needs to be something that we focus in on. Now, Eliphaz, he wasn't in error. The things that he said, he wasn't necessarily in error. It'd be one thing if he said, that's false, and I can prove that that's false. We know it's wrong. Now, we know that it's wrong because we see what's happening in heaven. We know that Job is blameless. But from their situation, they had no way of knowing that. What he said, what Eliphaz said, really was true. But scripture teaches us that there is a distinct difference between truth and understanding. Okay, and truth without understanding. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy buy truth, mean purchase truth, and do not selling it. He's saying, hoard it. If you get truth, hoard that truth. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. So truth, wisdom, instruction, understanding are all distinctly different things, and you need them all in order to accurately dispense truth that's going to have its intended effect truth without understanding can be an absolute weapon we see that all the time where did we see what's one of the most famous instances of correct scripture being used as a weapon what about when satan tempted jesus in the desert Okay, Matthew 4, 1 to 11, you can read that on your own. Matthew 4, 1 to 11 is when Satan comes against Jesus and is tempting him using scripture. And he's not misquoting, but he's got the wrong intent. He's got the wrong heart. And he doesn't have the understanding, or at least his understanding is not the correct one. The takeaway of all that, though, is always Always, 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 but maybe even more so, especially today, beware of voices preaching the truth without the correct context of understanding. We need to know where what we consider truth, or if we're going to put our stock in this being truth, where did that truth come from and whose version of the truth is this? You need to be careful no matter where it comes from, unless it is directly from Jesus. The voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You can absolutely trust in context and out at all times, but that's not where we get most of what we consider truth. Truth that we act on in our lives. We're being bombarded every day, bombarded with multiple voices preaching their version of the truth every single day. Is there anybody here who hasn't gotten 10 different versions of some sort of story in the last few days? here's a story, I'm going to be angry about that because it happened to me just this morning. I'm reading this news story going, I can't believe that ha- happened to be about the shooting that happened in Denver last night. Two groups riding against one another, faced one another, and there was a shooting. One side shot the other. And of course, I'm immediately jumping like, oh, I know what happened. I hear a conservative group and a liberal group meeting together, somebody from the liberal group Shoots the conservative group. There we go, verifying everything I think I know. Okay? That wasn't the whole truth. Those of you who are familiar with this story, look into it. There's more to that that we don't even know yet. So we need to be careful where we're getting this. I'm reading a book, or or almost done reading a book, by um, former National Security Advisor uh, General McMaster, H.R. McMaster. He wrote this book called Battlegrounds, and it's about all the different things that are facing our country. Now, this is on a national, global level. Love the book, recommend it, by the way. But he says of all these different threats that are facing our country today, the number one threat is false information. More so than nuclear missiles from North Korea, more so than armies from from China or Russia attacking, it's false information. Now he goes on did you know now this is just i'm paraphrasing information from this book the ccp which is the chinese communist party and the russian governments flood our social media every single day with false posts outright false posts propaganda and news stories that are disguised as independent news agencies tens of thousands of them are out there. YouTube videos, Facebook posts, tweets, Instagram, no matter what social media platform it is, it's being manipulated. Look at it. Those things that you call truth, even if it says it's from this news agency or from this source, question it. Look for your own truth. What is that truth? They pose as reputable news outlets. There's something like 150 different news outlets that are actually state sponsored by China and Russia that we see appearing in our social media feeds on a regular basis look into them now you think that oh i stay away from social media so that's not a problem for me let me show you something just dropped on my dropped on my doorstep the other day anybody ever seen this anybody ever get one of these it's called the epic times okay the Epic Times just dropped on my on my uh, driveway the other day, and I thought, how cool! I haven't read a newspaper in a long time, so I take a look at it. It says "Truth and Tradition" right on top there, and I'm starting to read this, and I think, you know, before I go too far, where did this come from, and why did it drop on my porch? Does anybody know the story behind that? I know who they are, but... The Epic Times is produced; um, it's Chinese propaganda. what it is. It's produced by a Chinese group called Falun Gong. Now, Falun Gong happens to be an anti-communist, very conservative right-wing that we would consider news outlet. However, it's propaganda. It's absolute propaganda. You look at the bylines and they're a combination of Russian and Chinese surnames in all of the bylines. If you didn't look at it closely, you might confuse that for unbiased news. Now, I'm not making a judgment whether it's good or bad. You make your own judgment. But propaganda, a whole newspaper full of it, okay, produced by a Chinese propaganda organization dropped on my doorstep. We're not immune to it. No matter where you are, we need to look at these things. The most troubling part, though, Going back to the book by General McMaster, the most troubling part about all this propaganda, not necessarily that, all of it that you hit on your social media, they don't care who it benefits. So we see all these things, excuse me, that they're trying to benefit President Trump, they're trying to get him elected, or they're trying to benefit the Democrats, trying to get them elected. We see all these things. Truth is, they don't care. All they care about is that it sows doubt and division to where you can't, you don't know who to trust. Who do I trust? You don't know. That's what they want. They want you to not know who you can trust. And they're more than happy and absolutely thrilled when we just take those things disguised as facts and without vetting them through the Holy Spirit, we just repost them out there because it's inflammatory and it agrees with what we want to say. It agrees with the flesh in our spirit. So we will gladly forward that on. We need to be careful, people. That division and doubt paralyze an otherwise powerful force. That's why the Chinese government and the Russian government want to do everything they can, and other governments, to paralyze us, to get us so bickering and angry with each other, totally wrapped up in domestic turmoil so that we can no longer be the powerful, unified force that the United States of America is meant to be. That's what they want. But there's one single source of misinformation, okay, truth, but misinformation that is used in nefarious ways to cause division and strife more than all these others put together. Anybody know what it is? It's right here. This book right here, misused with the wrong heart and with the wrong intent can cause more division and strife, and problems than all those other things put together. The sincerity with which you express your opinion has no bearing on the truth contained in the words. Eliphaz spoke truth. He was not misquoting. And we'll see as we go through all of his friends. Spoiler alert, they all speak truth. But with the wrong heart, with the wrong context and with the wrong intent. And it's damaging. We know this because later, God himself will charge Eliphaz with error, with speaking wrong. So how do you navigate when the truth is so hard to know? How do you navigate what's true? The only way is to take it before the Holy Spirit. It's one reason in our Discover logo, God gave me that logo and it's got the compass in it. Because truth is, isn't subject to changing weather, or opinions, or tides, or fashions, or fads. The truth is the truth, and the truth in Jesus is what will set us free. That's what will set us free. All other versions of the truth are there to cage us. The truth in Christ is what will set us free. We need to focus on that. Another book I read, Texas Senator Dan Crenshaw. Anybody heard of him? Love the guy. He wrote a book called Fortitude. And he has a quote. says this. Unfortunately, these days, too many people are overcoming their knowledge deficits with passion. And too many more people are mistaking passion and authenticity for righteousness and sophistication. It's an unhealthy trend. We see that in our society today. People, and I'm just going to focus on Christians here, putting out versions of the truth just because it agrees with this visceral thing in their flesh. See, I told you. And here's a story that backs up what I think without vetting it as truth through the Holy Spirit. And it could even be accurate in terms of facts. But what's its effect? It's not as hard as you might think. We have a weapon that Job and his friends didn't have. That is the Holy Spirit given through Christ Jesus. And if we choose not to consult the Holy Spirit before we believe things, before we act on things, then we are falling into exactly what our enemy, whether it is an earthly foreign enemy or the enemy of your soul, which is Satan. They've all got an agenda and it's to ruin you. Are we gonna fall into that or are we gonna fight it? The time to practice hearing the Lord's voice time to practice our, our intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And that guidance is not when you're in the middle of a storm. When you're in the middle of a storm and it's dark and you're reaching for a lifeline, it's really hard to tell a rope from a snake. But we'll grab onto both because we need a lifeline in that moment and there it is. Church, we can do better than that. Let's be who God called us to be not just a vessel for regurgitating someone else's truth. Let's speak what the Spirit puts in our heart. Take all these aspects of wisdom from wherever you get them. Filter them through the Holy Spirit. And by that, we will speak truth. By that, we will be the unified, powerful force that Christ intended when he said, we are the body. Amen? Amen. Let's practice hearing from the Lord right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord God, that you sent your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, to reconcile us to you, so that we could be upright and righteous in your sight, and therefore be with you. Father, we don't have any reason to go through this troubling life on our own. We have a guide. We have an intercessor. So, Father, speak to us now. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to set aside those distractions and those fleshly things that keep us from being connected to your voice, Lord, and speak to us right now. Lord, we repent of anything that we do in the flesh, especially for the damage that those things can cause. We repent of being an instrument of the enemy in all of his manifestations. Lord, we want you and we want your truth. So, Father, help us to stay focused on you in the midst of a storm. When we reach for a lifeline, let it be your hand that we reach for. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're at home, grab your communion supplies. If you're in here and you haven't, they're at the back table back there. Let's take a moment and celebrate who Christ is. He is our lifeline. He is our advocate. He is our everything. And through him, we are reconciled to the Father. So if you have the bread, wafer, whatever you have for the body of Christ, let's take that together. And the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ is what was shed for us to reconcile us to the Father. It's that blood like the doorposts of the Hebrews in Egypt. That blood is what causes the angel of death to pass over us. We are reconciled from the death that our sin causes through the blood of Christ. And if you accept that and celebrate that in Jesus, take the blood. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. May we glorify and magnify him every day in what we do and what we say. Amen. Thank you, guys.